Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Um, we're going to take a look this morning at uh, our uncomfortable uh, Great Commission. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. Um, and looking at that, obviously, is something that's a huge part of the purpose for which uh, God has us on the planet. But then wrestle with uh, some of our discomfort in it, uh, some of our uh, maybe even frustration with it, some of our wrestling uh, with it. But I want to just point us first to that idea of purpose so we can really understand uh, how, how we maybe operate uh, with regards to it and around it. Um, you know, we're asking ourselves often that question of what we're doing here. Uh, we sort of long to connect with ultimate meaning. Uh, we don't want futility. We don't want to be sort of this guy on the, on the couch who's sitting there, you know, surrounded in popcorn and, and chips and kind of pouring his life into nothing. But very often we're just kind of focused on things that do that to us. Maybe it's, uh, you know, just habits that we have. Maybe it's, uh, well, let me take you into a moment for a second. Uh, just think of the last time that you uh, binged watch something on streaming or you played like eight hours straight of uh, a computer game or something like that. Uh, we take these things that are uh, in some ways incredible technology and sort of wonderful entertainments. And we can sometimes end up spending though an enormous amount of time on them in a way that uh, kind of tricks us. Uh, if you think about the last Netflix thing that you watched that was like a really riveting and engaging show, um, you're there, maybe it's a mystery thing or whatever it is. Maybe it's, you know, people, somebody recently was telling me they watched Lost. Uh, maybe it's sort of pouring your, your mind and your thoughts and your energy into trying to figure out what's going on, trying to figure out what the plot is. Uh, the shows have a way of making us feel engaged, making us feel like we're maybe a little bit smarter, like we can, we can spot the uh, foreshadowing and kind of guess what's going to happen. And then sort of maybe they'll trick us with a cliffhanger at the end, but we're kind of engaged in these things and in the characters in a, in a deep way that actually, as we're watching, it feels really important and feels really meaningful and feels like something that is, is, is worth our time and energy. But if you take a second and you think uh, about the moment when that show is done, there's a different feeling that comes over you. Uh, and it, it sort of happens as we kind of pull the screen out from in front of our eyes and we, you know, put the tablet on the couch or whatever it is, put the controller down and we sort of look around and we maybe see a family member who's sitting over there on the other side of the room or you see... Um, uh, you know, maybe the pile of dishes that you haven't touched in, in days, or you think of somebody that you should have called or something important that you should have done. And you realize that in that moment, uh, while you're sort of coming out from under the spell of that activity or that entertainment, that all of that time that you spent on it and you poured into it is just kind of drifted away and it actually hasn't produced anything really real in your life or anything really significant. And in fact, you don't actually feel necessarily rested from it. 
you feel a little bit lonely, possibly. Uh, sometimes you can feel a little bit irritable and grouchy that it's over. You can feel a little bit guilty. And the reality is, is that in that moment, what you're actually feeling as you look around at the things you haven't done, the people you haven't connected with, or the person you didn't have a conversation with, is you're actually feeling a little bit of grief over what could have been in that time. You've seen that that thing hasn't really contributed something significant to your life, and you're feeling grief over the loss of the things that actually could have contributed to your life, and, and that you could have actually contributed to the lives of others. Uh, for us, the time, the money, the energy, the effort that we put into anything has to be connected to uh, some kind of purpose if we're going to experience any authentic and real joy out of it. Now, there's legitimate time for rest, and sometimes rest and refreshing actually helps us run the journey we're called to run better. And so there's healthy, refreshing rest. So we're not saying you don't want to be a person who's ever in repose, who's ever having, uh, who's never having entertainment. That's not what we're talking about. But it's about being people who have even that rest uh, connected to the purpose for which we're created. Uh, we're just longing for that, aren't we? We're longing for those moments where, you know, you build something and there it is, where you have a conversation and you see an incremental change in your heart or in the heart of another person. Whenever we spend life without connection, uh, the result is going to be uh, that grief and that longing that you have. And even doing like the beautiful stuff of the Christian life, uh, fellowship, worship, uh, teaching, spiritual growth kind of stuff, even doing those beautiful things of the Christian life without connecting with the overarching purpose that God has for your life, even that can sometimes subconsciously uh, produce grief in us. Uh, we experience that even to a certain degree on Sunday morning. We prepare the stream, we prepare the slides, and we uh, share a message, and we preach and teach and do all this. We don't really know. We can't really tell without a lot of feedback from you guys, whether it's connecting, whether it's making a difference, whether it's changing your hearts. And so I have a longing as I preach to know that something's happening in your life. And I find, if I'm in person with you, I can see that. I can see that change. I can see the Lord moving. I can see the Holy Spirit working in the room. I'm kind of blind to that right now. So I come away from this experience uh, with a little sense of, oh man, Lord, I'm really trusting you that something is happening here. So uh, we want to have that connection with purpose. And we think about our life as a church, uh, the really good question for us to ask at this point is, so what is the purpose of the church? What is our purpose? Uh, some of us might think, yeah, it, it is. It's spiritual growth. Uh, the purpose of my uh, my church is to help me grow spiritually uh, so that I teach, uh, so that I'm te taught and I'm learning the Word of God, so that I'm growing in the Scripture, so that I'm maturing as a person. Some may say it's worship. We want to just be able to glorify God and experience the presence of God and and be near Him and, and be filled by Him and to experience a, a shared sense of the life of God. And some might say it's it's fellowship. It's about relationships. It's about connection. It's about us uh, being people who know that there are others we can rely on and connect with and, and do life together with. Um, but let me ask you a question. What would you be doing? What will you be doing when Jesus finally takes you home? 
what will you be doing when Jesus finally takes you home? Well, you'll have achieved all the spiritual growth that you need. You'll know him in his glory. You'll see him face to face. Uh, You'll have that intimate sense of connection with him. You'll have worship uh, in, in, in perfection. You'll be gathered around the throne of God with the angels and with the, the saints crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. You'll be in the best worship experience of your life, and you'll have fellowship in perfect unity with Jesus, in perfect unity with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and again, in perfect communion with all of the saints. So if the goal, if the purpose of your life was to have those things, perfect spiritual growth, uh, to have perfect worship, and to have perfect fellowship. Well, the most obvious thing for God to do, and for God to have done with his disciples even way back uh, in, in around the time of Jesus, was to simply just take them home and to share all of that with them. That would be uh, those things sort of reaching their end, those things reaching per- perfection, those things as an end in themselves. And... Uh, the question you have to ask then is, well, then what am I still doing here? Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he sort of take us home? Why didn't he perfect the worship experience? Why didn't he perfect fellowship? Why didn't he perfect our spiritual growth, you know, supernaturally by uh, making our relationship with him perfect by bringing us into uh, the new creation with him? Like immediately, I think it would have been great if he would have done that. It would save a lot of problems, wouldn't it? There's some reason why we're still here why we're still kicking around. The reality is those things just aren't ends in themselves. Those things uh, support us. Those things uh, grow us. Those things change us. Those things are a part of our life. But they themselves have to be connected to a purpose. Let me share an illustration for maybe some of the car geeks in the house, which there's probably a few of us, but not too many. But imagine you've got this beautiful old uh, Corvette. It's a 57 Corvette that you've maybe found somewhere in a junkyard. That's that's your life. Uh, you're just a sort of a beat up old Corvette. You've gotten rusty. And your purpose, uh, it feels like uh, we're going to restore this thing. We're going to get this thing healthy. And you take it, you lift the body off the frame and you're doing the body work. You're, uh, you know, you're painting it, you're dealing with the rust, you're banging out the dents, you're taking the engine and you're restoring it and rebuilding it. You take it apart piece by piece. Uh, you take the, um, you know, the cylinders and you're going to bore them out. You're going to uh, take the the heads and, and polish it. You're going to clean the thing up. You're going to uh, replace the valves. You're going to do everything with it so that you can put more horsepower to the ground. You're going to ground, you're going to fix the exhaust. You're going to take this thing and you're going to make it something that is just a beautiful, awesome functioning machine. I think for many of us, church is like that. It's like, okay, we're going to use this thing. We're going to build this thing up. We're going to uh, make this thing as beautiful as it can be. I'm going to make my life as good as it possibly can be. And that's what the church is for. And that's what uh, this life on earth is for, to just make myself better. But just like the car, you can sit that thing in the showroom and you could look at it. And it would be beautiful and it would be good. And the, and the activity of restoring it and working on it would be, would be kind of an awesome project. And it would be sort of glorifying to see that thing go from broken to fixed. But ultimately, uh, that car isn't going to find fulfillment until it's going somewhere, until it's on the road. And the church is like that. The church is beautiful just being the church. 
It's beautiful just being the church. It is beautiful restoring your soul, restoring your life, uh, bringing you into fellowship with God, causing you to know him better, causing you to know the scriptures better, causing you to have his mind and his heart. Like that is amazing and it is beautiful, but it is truly joyful when that thing gets out on the road, when the church gets out going where it's supposed to go. That's when it experiences fulfillment in its purpose. And so that's what we talk about with the Great Commission is that Jesus has gone through the whole journey of months and months and months of discipling his disciples, uh, teaching them, pouring so much into their lives. And at the very end of the journey, the very end of Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20, he uh, then gives them a sense of purpose. And he says it like this, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And as we look at that, we see the reason why we're still here. We see the reason why when he ascended into heaven, he didn't just take us with him, that we have a vocation to take the story of Jesus, what he taught us, what he's doing in our lives, and to share it with a world that desperately needs it. But here's the thing. If you are honest, right now, there are a whole bunch of uncomfortable thoughts that are going through your mind when you think about evangelism, or you think about the Great Commission, or you think about going out and telling the Jesus story to your friends. There's a whole bunch of things that make you squirmy inside. One, you're just probably thinking, dang, here's the Great Commission sermon again. I also feel guilty. Uh, I've never led into anyone, anyone into relationship with Christ. I have no idea even how to talk to my friends about him. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, some of you are maybe thinking, uh, I'm not even sure about my own faith, let alone how to share it with others. I'm not, I'm not quite sure how to even do that. Some of you are thinking, you know, why, why is he giving this message? I know our church supports missionaries. We care for them. We're doing stuff in Mozambique. Uh, the Great Commission is, you know, in some other country far away. Uh, things are basically okay here in Canada. Maybe some of you are thinking that. I don't think too many of you are thinking things are great here in Canada. Um, some of you are thinking it's Man, that, the Great Commission and evangelism, that's just Christian expansionism. Uh, that's like colonialism. That's what was used. This passage was used by people to uh, ultimately um, justify uh, the um, sort of oppression and destruction of indigenous societies around the world. Some of you are thinking purely defensively, imagining that Christianity uh, is just retreating into a hole in the ground and that Canada, in Canada here, we're just so under it that, that we can't can't even imagine actually growing. We can't imagine actually telling Jesus' story in a way that will recapture the hearts of our society. We just got to create a bunker for ourselves, hang on for dear life, wait for the end to come, and uh, watch the world go to hell in a handbasket. And, and some of you are just thinking, yeah, I've heard this message a hundred times. I've always come out of one of message, these messages wanting to do what Jesus says, and I just it just has never materialized. Nothing great has happened. We have uh, a lot of discomfort with this, if we're honest, uh, from on a whole bunch of different levels. So let me just sum up where we're at at this point in the message. Like we, we do, we long for purpose. We long for connection. We long for a sense of being a people who is doing that thing that we were actually put on the planet to do, doing that thing that we're still here for. 
Um, and, and we have that purpose. We, we know what it is. That purpose is to go into the world and, and to share the gospel, to tell the good news about Jesus Christ. But the reality is, is there's, that we're uncomfortable with that purpose. There's some reason. There are reasons for all of us, and they're different for various ones of us. There are reasons why we're not doing that. And uh, we can maybe use this image to just understand, you know, how we feel about that. Like we are the church. We're these little guys over here. This is classic clash of clan images. We're these little builder guys, these little soldier guys. And we're just kind of like sort of enthusiastic and sort of dazed and confused. But we look at the world, we look at the mission and we see that there's tremendous walls up there, that there are huge defenses that it, that it's almost impossible for us uh, to get across we see our weakness we are lacking confidence we are lacking authority we're under equipped we're under trained um, we're an increasingly small portion of society uh, we're shrinking we're terrified that if we speak out we'll be seen as judgmental so we over here we feel this super weak and powerless and if we look over here at this a task of reaching the nations, we see that's a, an impenetrable defense. The world is extremely well defended. People are inoculated against the gospel. Uh, they're told to expect that Christian faith is irrational, that anyone who expresses uh, an opinion that someone should change anything about their religion or faith or moral foundation, uh, anybody who says anything is, is like judgmental, is a colonizer, is, uh, is, is being hurtful even, right? So how do we speak into the face of that? We feel, you know, pretty helpless about it if we're honest. And honestly, this is a time when there, you know, we maybe feel not entirely unjustified in feeling unsecure. Uh, the world is changing really fast right now. Uh, the opinion of the church is rapidly deteriorating. Our moral foundations are being eroded more quickly than ever in our society. I think we should probably be concerned about our universities, uh, that truth is not uh, a big part of the, the deal there, a pursuit of truth. Uh, we should be concerned about uh, the erosion of, uh, you know, the the sexual uh, foundations. We should be uh, concerned about all of these things in our society that are that are rapidly changing, and Christianity is just losing a place to speak into all of that. Uh, so we feel, you know, insecure. We feel weak. We feel kind of powerless when it comes to that. And the activities that we're called to do, to baptize, to proclaim the gospel, to teach people to do all the things that Jesus has commanded, teaching people to obey the things Jesus commanded, that language uh, going out into our society is just foreign. It sounds foolish. We're going to teach people to obey something? That language is archaic. Like People don't get it. People don't understand it. It's bizarre. The solution we naturally um, default to when we feel really powerless and we feel like the defenses are strong against us uh, is, is to power up. That's our, that's our solution. That's our natural thing. So we think, okay, how are we going to deal with this, this 
difference, this distance between us and our mission. Uh, we try to screw up our courage. We try to put on uh, better social media posts. We beat down the walls with strong arguments. Uh, we throw evangelism conferences. Uh, we complain about the government. We try to regain some political power. We power up our social justice programs. We try to make our services uh, more slick and more attractive, our sound quality better. We try to make our language more relevant. And we try hard to make uh, our Instagram meme game way better than it's ever been. Uh, we try to say those things that are going to somehow punch through the noise and be somehow meaningful to that one person who's going to stop and watch your, your slides scrolling by for more than a fifth of a second. Uh, but the reality is, uh, and, and we just feel insecure about the simple things that we're called to do, the fellowship, the worship, and the growing in our faith. And we think, how does this crazy, simple life that we're called to live make a difference and when the challenge is so great? It, it's really good to ask ourselves in that moment, like, what approach did Jesus model in the face of the overwhelming odds in his time? What approach did he take? Because he was faced with exactly the same thing. He was faced with a world uh, in which the Jewish uh, nation, out of which Christianity came, was a tiny, tiny part of the Roman world. It was highly marginalized. Everybody thought that the Jewish community and then the Christians on top of that were out of their minds. They'd abandoned paganism. They talked about there only being one God. They had absolutely no political power. They had absolutely no authority in the culture to say anything. They were absolutely under the thumb of Rome. How did he do it? Jesus, we talked about this last week on, uh, on Easter Sunday, with his newly resurrected body, with his newly having defeated death, with this incredible power that he was walking in, he did something with that incredible power and authority, didn't he? We talked about this last week. In those last days of Jesus as a resurrected man walking and talking about the earth, what did he do? He, well, he, he walked with people. He just showed up where they gathered. He opened up the scriptures. He did simple hospitality. He let people get close when they expressed the doubts. He had all the power in the universe. And he didn't power up at all. He was present. He was there with the people. And he related to them. He had connection with them. So with that in mind, reading a little bit broader section of the Great Commission, let's see if we can pull from that what Jesus' strategy was for his disciples and see what our real strategy is in a time where we feel small and under the thumb and underpowered. Matthew chapter 28, 16 to 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And some doubted. Um, and when they, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so I just want us to notice three little things in this text.
text. Uh, first is, uh, when, when they saw Jesus, they saw the resurrected Jesus, uh, some worshipped him, but some doubted. I just want to say, we, this is just exactly how we've described ourselves in this moment. We've described ourselves as being a little uncertain. We know that uh, Jesus has uh, risen. We know that we worship him. Uh, we come and we gather to church, but we are not certain enough in our faith that we are confident going out and telling his story. Uh, a good number of us, and even those of us who you know, have been studying for a long time and, and have known him for a long time, we are actually doubters. We're actually insecure about how to do this message and how to do it well and to how to fulfill this commission that we've been given. But listen, Jesus commissions us, whether we're ready or not. He commissioned his doubting disciples. He, he, didn't, he didn't have them all fixed first. And we know from the story of Acts, and we know from all of these journeys, that they went out there as people who were trying to figure this thing out. But they, they still went. So I want us to notice that first, is that having it all together, and having it perfect, and having all of the solutions, and having uh, our lives uh, completely cleaned up, and sanctified, and knowledgeable, before we go, that's not what Jesus intends. He intends us to go learning along the way. Uh, the next thought that's a, that I think is really important is that, you know, we when we say go, we, we in our English translations, we read that as an imperative. Uh, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. We call it the Great Commission, and we see this sense of drive to go and do that. But the Greek language is just a little bit different in the way it presents that and expresses that. Um, that word for go that we translate, or go there for, that's actually not an imperative in the Greek text. Um, it's actually an assumption. What that word means uh, for a Greek reader who, who reads what Matthew wrote in that time would hear Matthew saying to him, while you're going, make disciples. It's an assumption that you're going. It's an assumption that you're going into places where there are disciples to be made. He's assuming that in the daily walk of life, in the daily grind, going from place A to B, you're going to encounter people who are going to be those whom you will be making disciples. And it's actually not the going that's the imperative in this sentence, uh, the, the phrase that says, you must do this. Uh, the imperative in this sentence is to make disciples. So it's a very different thing now for you to walk into the grocery store, to walk into your um, place of work, or to walk into your school and realize that that's the place where you've gone. And that those people that you're connecting with in that space that you've already gone are the people that you're called to make disciples of. Uh, and, and there are people that are called specifically to different parts of the world to call and target a country, to target a people group. And I know that Jesus does that. But for you and me and the average Joe, we've already done the going. And now we have to just do the discipling. We have to go and, and do it, whether we're comfortable or not, wherever we are. Your mission field, if you're wondering where it is, you're, you're already there. You're already in the mission field, is what he's saying. That wall between you and the mission that we, we put 
earlier, it, it actually doesn't exist. It's actually not there at all. The next thing I want to notice is the authority in the passage. And we're actually going to do this passage again in, in a couple of weeks and unpack in a little more detail sort of the, the aspects of, of the Great Commission itself. But I want us to just notice this authority piece here. Listen, this is how he starts this, because they're nervous and they're doubting. And he says this, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and do the stuff. And then he ends it with, and behold... I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you understand that together, all heaven, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him and he's going to be with us. We actually never get the power up. We don't get the power up. We don't have it. We don't get the power. We don't get the authority. It's not given to us. He has it all the time and he's with us. And that one, that takes an enormous amount of pressure off us. We don't have to hype ourselves up. We don't have to uh, somehow maneuver ourselves into a place of feeling secure enough to speak into somebody's lines. All we have to do is to go into that place where we already are and allow Jesus to demonstrate his power. And what's really interesting about the Great Commission in the, in the places where it appears in the New Testament, because it appears in the other Gospels as well, is it always comes with the promise of presence. It always comes with the promise of God's presence going with you. So we sang earlier about wanting to dwell in his courts. That dwelling with him, that abiding with him, is the only thing that could possibly make that commission work for us. We cannot do it ourselves. We cannot do it alone. We cannot do it on our own power-ups. We don't have to power up. We go in our weakness and we just do the simple things that he's commissioned to do. We'll talk about that in, in, in the weeks ahead. But he comes and he brings the power and authority with him. And that's exactly what we see in the life of Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 to 5. Listen to Paul. This is the Apostle Paul speaking about his mission to the Corinthians. He says this, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In demonstration in the Greek of the Spirit's power, not my power, the Spirit's power. The Spirit possesses the power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If you feel weak, if you feel like you're trembling, if you feel like you don't know, and you don't have the right words to say, you, you don't actually need to. Of course we want to grow in that. Of course we want to study apologetics. Of course we want to uh, be better tools with which the Spirit can work. But none of those tools are anything unless the Spirit is working. He is the one who has the power to disciple the nations that he wants to reach.
it's not on us. And so my wrestle this week as I was writing this message was to say, Lord, would you show me how to walk in this a little bit in a new way? Would you give me some experience of your power uh, working? And so I want to tell you just a short story of propane dog poop an important and an important decision. Um, so it was actually on Friday and uh, I was um, driving home. I had been thinking about this message. Uh, I think, uh, I forget, I think I picked Jack up from school and I was just, just coming home and sort of chatting with Jack. And in the back of my mind, I'm sort of praying, Lord, would you uh, help me to have an encounter of the kingdom with someone that I just run into? Uh, that is just somebody that life intersects with. There's no wall, there's no barrier. Would you show me what it is to be someone who is going in the place that I've already gone and learning how to disciple while I'm already there? Show me how to show me what that looks like, Lord. And so I'm driving down the road uh, to our uh, to our house, and as I'm praying that, uh, I look and in my driveway is the propane truck. It's the truck delivering propane. And those guys are moving fast. Those guys are busy. Uh, they are not guys who sit around with time to chat. And I backed in the truck, and I get to tell the guy is impatient with me because he is ready to get going. He is ready to to drive off. He's already done what he was called to do. Uh, there, I back the truck in the, the driveway, and the propane guy begins to lurch out as if he's going off to the next spot. And all of a sudden he hits the brakes. He, he stops and just gets out of his truck. Jack goes into the house and uh, this guy comes in and sits or stands beside the truck while I'm sort of sitting in the seat in the driver's side. And I said, I'm sorry about the dog poop. I said, I'm sorry about the, the mess here. I'm sorry about, you know, whatever it is, just, just making a silly conversation. And I'm just about to get out of the truck and grab the things that I have to carry in there. And I realized that the thing that I've just prayed for uh, is happening. That all of a sudden there's a person uh, who I was connected with, uh, who was in my driveway who was in my yard, who shouldn't have stopped, who shouldn't have come out of his truck, who didn't have anything to say. Um, but all of a sudden he was standing beside my truck and being busy and having calls to make and sermon work to do. My first instinct was to grab the things I had in the truck and say, hey, great, great to see you. I hope you're doing well. Cheers, have a great day and zip on into the house. But I did what... Uh, I think the Lord wants us to do it in these moments, in these scenarios. And I started a conversation, but it was a simple, simple choice. I didn't have anything to say. I didn't have anything planned. I didn't have any agenda for the conversation. I didn't have any idea uh, where it would go. But in under two minutes of me asking this guy what's going on in his life, he's telling me about his medical struggles. He's telling me about his family. And he's pouring out his heart. And we spent 45 minutes uh, in the driveway with a guy who's got to get somewhere fast with his truck. Uh, doing a conversation that is the work of discipleship. That is the work of the kingdom. And it didn't take anything for me to do it. I did absolutely nothing. I just made the choice to sit there on the edge of the truck and ask a question instead of rush into the house and the Holy Spirit 
did everything else. And, and the Holy Spirit made the conversation go deep. And I think those opportunities of connection, of mission, of bringing the kingdom forward into the lives of the people that we encounter are just there for us all the time. And all we have to do is to pause, to initiate the conversation, not powered up, not in our strength, and just simply allow the spirit to do its work. Because that was a God-led conversation. Fulfilling our purpose as commissioned people isn't about us having confidence in ourselves. It's not about us having confidence in our strength or our ability or our knowledge. Uh, we can, of course, grow in those things. But doing the Great Commission is all about having confidence in Jesus and, and in who he is. And so we're going to just close out the message uh, now. But the way I want to do it is just to have us read uh, the Apostles' Creed together. Uh, a couple of reasons for that. One is uh, I want us to just this message of the gospel, the, the story of Jesus, the things that he's taught us about himself, the things that we know about him. I want us to just remind ourselves who he is. I want us to just remind ourselves of his authority. I want us to just remind ourselves of his greatness so that we are just intentionally putting our confidence in him and, and taking our confidence off of ourselves and our abilities. So we're not powering up in doing this. Uh, we're acknowledging his power. Acknowledging his authority, acknowledging who he is, and then we're just going to worship, and then we'll uh, we'll come back and and uh, have a little Q and A time uh, with Matt. But let's just read the Apostles' Creed together and just firmly put our confidence in Him and not worry uh, about ourselves at all as we think about this mission that God's called us to. You can read this with me. Maybe you want to stand to read it. Maybe you want to uh, just stay seated, whatever. Uh, but just just read this with me. Uh, maybe I'll pray first. Lord, um, we put our confidence in you. Uh, we, like Paul, we have shaky knees. Uh, we feel insecure. We feel weak. We don't know how to do this thing. But we know that the joy uh, is, is ahead of us in fulfilling your purpose. So would you just cause us to have uh, confidence in your power so that as we're going, uh, we simply do the work of discipleship of introducing people to you. Would you uh, help us to have that confidence uh, placed firmly in you and not in ourselves, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified died and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We believe in you.
We don't worry about believing in ourselves. We believe in you. We believe in your incredible works in your creation. We believe in your incredible passion to save. We believe in your incredible love uh, for the people that we are called to reach. We believe in your incredible power to reach them with the gospel. We believe in you. We believe in you. Mighty God, uh, we are Christians. We are believers. We are followers of you. Would you just use us wherever we are? We give our lives to you again. We accept your commission. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.